Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello and welcome to episode 841 with Joey Caffone. Joey has a wealth of wisdom when it comes to being more creative and why, in fact, we all exercise creativity in our jobs, no matter what your role. So you'll learn one, why creativity isn't just for the creatives, two, why we shouldn't shy away from our fears, and three, how to come up with ideas on the spot. So you want to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to items that we've referenced, please visit us over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash EP841. And if you're at awesomeatyourjob.com, I recommend you check out some of our goodies like the full text searchable transcripts or the gold nugget summary emails, which summarize the actionable wisdom of each guest in an email you can read in two or three minutes, as well as unlocking the vault of all 841 of these summary tips bits. That's called the gold nuggets over at awesomeatyourjob.com. Now here's a bit about Joey. Joey Caffone is the founder and CEO of Baron Fig, an award-winning designer and entrepreneur and author of The Laws of Creativity. Joey has designed and art-directed over 100 products from zero to launch. His work has been featured in Fast Company, Bloomberg, New York Magazine, and many others. Joey was named a new visual artist and separately a wonderkind designer by Print Magazine. He is also a first place winner of the American Institute of Graphic Arts Design Competition, Command X. Joey strives to make work that appeals to curious minds, work that's beautiful, smart, and communicative. He believes that design is the least of a designer's worries, that story is at the heart of all tasks, and jumping off cliffs is the only way to grow. He lives in New York City with his wife, Ariana, and his dog and riding buddy, Luigi. Big thanks to Joey for sharing his wisdom with us, and big thanks to our sponsors. Check him out. One sponsor to check out is LinkedIn Jobs. Did you know that you can post a job for free at linkedin.com slash be awesome? And with a fresh year, perhaps you're like many small business owners looking for some fresh insight and talent to make 2024 extra amazing. Well, LinkedIn Jobs has created tremendous tools to help you find the right professionals for your team faster and free. I love how they make it so easy with their promotion and selection tools. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. No, no. No, LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. Here's some fun facts. 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours, and small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash be awesome. That's linkedin.com slash B-E-A-W-E-S-O-M-E, as in you are being awesome, be awesome, to post your job for free. Terms and conditions do apply. Now, here's Joey. Joey, welcome to How to Be Awesome at Your Job. Hello, hello. I am psyched. Well, I am psyched too. I want to know so much about your your insights, creativity, Baron Fig. I have one of your notebooks on my desk. So Surprise. I was there before I knew I was talking to you. <laughs> Watching the whole time. So I wanted to ask you about your hobby of playing video games, mm. but then I learned that you almost died in Tennessee. So... I think we need to hear both of these tales. What's the story here? I did almost die in Tennessee. We discovered this before recording when I said, where are you? And you said, Tennessee. And I said, I almost died there. And that is because I went hiking the Appalachian Trail when I was 20, maybe 21. It was in phenomenal shape. I'm not in bad shape now, but I was in killer shape then. And so it was just me and a buddy went on the mountain, not underprepared. I will say we did our homework. 
However, we missed a spring, did not get water. The sun started going down. We became disoriented mentally. And then, of course, disoriented because we couldn't see anything started not making sense. And we literally had to hang on to each other. Two very large dudes walking hand in hand, like we were walking down the aisle all the way through the mountains until we found water. And then we had to sit there and watch it boil before we could drink it. It took like 30 minutes to boil this on this little tiny thing. Anyway, I did almost die because I was about to lie down and give up. And my friend, who is now the COO of Baron Fig, Jay, was there to give me his last little bit of water and say, we got to keep going, man. So I almost died in Tennessee, but here I am today with you. Wow. What a guy. Uh <laughs> He did. It was his last sip of water and he gave it to me. That is beautiful. Yes. I'm also thinking about jet boils and how you could have cut that 30 minutes way down. Oh, man. <laughs> you talk about, you know, waiting for a pot to boil. Man, I thought it was a lifetime. And then it was the best tasting water I had ever had in my life, even though it was scalding hot. Wow. Yeah. That's that, that's good stuff. It's yeah. Good stuff. It was good. Well, I'm glad you're alive. Thank and you. you. made it out of Tennessee. Mm. And I also wanted to hear about you and video games. Some say they're a waste of time. Mm. You, well, I don't know what you think, but uh, you say <laughs> <laughs> that's what you like to do, and you are a thought leader in the realm of creativity. So I'd like to guess that there is some sort of a connection between video games and creativity, but you tell me. Sure. I would consider myself a thought leader in video games as a consumer. All right. I've been talking about video games and pro video games since I started Baron Fig and have been inter being interviewed all over the place, and that's about just over a decade now. So gaming has become significantly more mainstream in that time. But in my lifetime, certainly, gaming has been viewed as a nerdy guy who sits in his parents' basement type of activity for quite a long time. And only in the last, let's say, five-ish, seven years has it become really, really mainstream. So I'm glad about that. I personally prefer Xbox, but I've owned them all, played them all. And I think what's beautiful about games is that it is... To me, and I'm going to say this, I think it is, oh, it's going to hurt too, because this is going to come hard, but I believe it is one of the pinnacles of creative expression. And I say that because in a video game, you have music, you have visual art, you have programming, you have storytelling, you have a host of other practices, cinematography, all coming together to not only tell you a story like a movie would or a book would, but put you in the center of it. So yeah, I love gaming. And if you're going to sit in front of the TV, you might as well interact with it. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, I don't find that statement to be controversial to me at all. Once I, I took a look at what's really going on in terms of, was it the Unreal Engine or the some of the cutting edge stuff. It is spectacular what is now possible visually. And then I, I saw, I think during the pandemic, I, I was watching, this game is called Detroit Become Human, which is fascinating. Oh yeah. Fascinating stories. And I was just watching the gameplay because I didn't have my console yet and I was sick with COVID <laughs> to know what else to do. And then I saw some of like the making of it and it was nuts. This composer... <laughs> was just talking about how he invented new instruments in order to get the sounds he was going for for each of the key characters to really capture the emotional essence. And it's like, 
Wow. That yes. is that is hardcore. And those those millions of dollars spread across a huge staff really is exceptional in terms of uh, many layers of creativity. So Absolutely. Uh, yeah, that makes sense to me. All right, we're talking about creativity. You've learned a whole lot about it in your years and your career. Can you share with us any particularly surprising, counterintuitive, extra fascinating discoveries you've made about creativity during this time? Oh my goodness. It is a boatload, or I should say a bookload. There are so many. I can start with one of the most profound things that I discovered. All right. Before that, let me tell you why I think creativity is so radically important and what where it originated for me. In the introduction to my book, I explain where creativity uh, entered my life. So it was first grade, seven years old. I walk into the classroom thinking it's just any other day. Teacher hands out a worksheet. It has a cartoon worm on it. All you got to do is color it, cut it out, put it on the board. No problem, like every other Monday. But this Monday was different because I decided I wanted to have the best worm in the class. So I get down, I put my arm around my paper, I take out my big-ass box of crayons, and I go to town. And I am thinking, this is the greatest creation of all, all time. I cut out my worm, I walk up to the board, and I stop dead in my tracks. Because as I look there, on the board, all the other students who have put theirs up, even though it's different, they color a little, you know, little dots here, maybe one use a little more red, a little more blue, they all feel the same. And so now I'm like, I can't put my little Joey's like, there's no way I'm putting my worm on the, on this board. I cannot be one of many. And I don't know where that came from that day, but I went back to my desk and I sat down and I was about to cry and I had my head in my hands. I was hiding. So I didn't want anyone to see how upset I was when I looked down and what do I see, but the shards of paper that I had cut out the worm. So I I'm taking a look at this crying and the light bulb ticks and I realize I can use them. So I draw a microphone, a boom box, and a necklace, cut them out, put them on the worm, put that on the board. Now the whole class walks up. The teacher gets up behind me. The assistant teacher comes up and everybody is looking at my worm and they go, this is the most amazing thing I've ever seen. And they're all shocked. And it was in that moment that I became addicted to creativity literally that feeling. I just wanted it all the time and throughout my life. And so now as I get I got older and I started Baron Fig and we made all this cool stuff uh, and it became time to write a book, and I thought to myself, you know what? That's my personal experience, but how can I inject something really profound and extremely objective into the book? And so I discovered what became the cornerstone of my desire to, to pursue this, which is NASA did a study that found that 98% of five-year-olds are creative geniuses. Okay, 98%. Mm -hmm. Take a guess what percent it goes down to by the time we hit adulthood. 2%. 2%. Nailed it. Excellent. Somebody did his homework. And so I realized that, wow, we are. this is not an accident. We are systemically doing a very good job at reducing creativity where it goes from 98 to 2%. And so now I have my experiences. I have a reason to write this book, put them together, and here we are. And so that was the very first thing that I encountered about creativity that I thought was incredibly interesting and profound. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, so creativity, it seems like a cool, good thing. I'm like, sure, yeah. It'd be mm -hmm. better to be creative than not creative. 
I'd love to get your your hot take in terms of for your average professional who is interested in being more awesome with their job. Let's say they say they would assert, you know, I'm not really in a creative role. I, I don't sort of invent new stuff. I don't have to come up with catchy ad campaigns. I just mm-hmm. manage projects and interact with folks and go to meetings and make my PowerPoints and do my analyses and keep things humming along and hopefully get some improvements in our operations here and there. What's the, the case for why creativity matters to such a person? For two reasons. Number one, everything you mentioned actually requires creativity. All right. The idea that creatives are people who make visual pictures or music or something is, is a common belief, but is totally absurd. Creativity is simply the practice of ideas. And when you take your user ideas, it's self-expression. So anytime you're working on a spreadsheet or you have to give a presentation or you have to do a little project management, you are exercising your creativity. This is not a robot. This is not an automaton. You actually have to think about it and come up with results, and that's creativity. It doesn't have to be some grand expression of it. Every day we have over 6,000 thoughts, for example, and the idea is that if you are, how do I say this in a way that, that doesn't sound silly, if you are an intrepid person, which I hope you are, Working on those 6,000 thoughts and making them even better is not only a good idea, it's a no-brainer to me, because, to answer your second reason, is because as an adult, it is proven that you are, number one, more happy if you involve creative exercises in your work, and number two, you make more money. Like Statistically, you make 13% more than people who do not integrate creativity, mm-hmm. and that's just for adults organizations, because I want to I want to tie this all together, organizations who integrate creativity are more productive and they have higher revenue growth. So as an individual and as a group, it is a no brainer. Okay. Well, let's say we say, oh yeah, I'd like to be in the integrate creativity camp and see that 13% pay bump and more cool benefits. Can you paint a picture for what that looks like during the course of my workday of, I'm a person who is integrating creativity Versus I'm a person who is not integrating creativity. Yeah, it depends on what it is you do and what it is you feel challenged by in your experience. For example, I'm a designer, so that's a little bit more obvious, but I don't do design things all day. The last three weeks, for example, I set up a really complex notion series of documents that basically tracks how the company is operating and how everybody is related to the projects that are going on. No one would look at that and go, that's some traditional creative stuff, bro. But it is, of course, creative because you have to problem solve. So day to day, it depends what you're doing. But if you are taking in inputs and then assessing an optimal way to execute something, that's creativity. It doesn't have to be any more complex than that. Mm Mm-hmm. So that's what integrating creativity looks like, the the 13% bumped up camp. And then how does one live their work day without integrating creativity? It's a good point. It's when you just take what's given to you and you don't do anything with it. You just are literally, as someone would call it, a paper pusher, where you are not trying to make this better. You are not trying to improve in any way upon the processes or the deliverables or the requests that are handed to you. You simply process as if you were a fax machine or a typewriter or something. Mm -hmm. You get an input and you put an output. And they're actually, the only thing you're there for is to execute it rather than assess and optimize and then execute. 
Okay, so I guess I'm thinking about some rules. <laughs> and it's funny, those are the very jobs I don't like. <laughs> in terms of, I have a spreadsheet of somebody's hours, and I need to turn that into an invoice <laughs> to say to somebody, pay me. Okay, yeah, so there's, like, I just have to <laughs> copy, paste, double check, email. Okay. And now, although I, I could certainly integrate some creativity in there in terms of surely there's a way I can get some automation going with this. Uh, maybe I should go that. research if there's a, a software program that can do this or a little bit of visual basic for applications, VBA code mm -hmm. to accelerate this. Do I want to use a sort or do I want to use a filter hmm. <laughs> in terms of, of manipulating Precisely. these spreadsheets? And mm -hmm. now you're now you're getting it because it, it when you say it that way it is a no brainer of course that folks who do the latter and say how can I automate this or optimize it or change it in a way where it actually takes less work later even if it's a little bit more work now they get paid more mm -hmm. it's obvious okay but believe it or not a lot of people don't do it the majority unfortunately I I can believe it. Ooh, so you you say majority, it sounds like you got some hard data. Bring it, Joey. What are we, what's the no, state no, no. of the world in terms of folks integrating their creativity? 98% of folks don't. Okay, so they're not That's creative geniuses according to the NASA situation. Correct. Okay, so you mentioned the part about us systematically crushing <laughs> the creativity in folks as they age. Do you have an idea for what are some of the, the drivers, the forces, the principles behind that? Yeah, I do. It's, it's unfortunately the way we educate our youth is the systematic uh, destruction of creativity. So it is no wonder that at five years old, you peak and then you go down and five years old is when you start school. There are three reasons primarily that creativity decreases, things that we teach our kids. First is that authority, like teachers, principals, deans, and so on, that they're unquestionable. Well, that's just not true because those people weren't always in charge. There were other folks in charge, and those people had to supplant those folks and so on and so forth. And so it teaches us that you have to do number two, which is man-rate rules have to be followed to a fault. And that means that Whatever someone says goes, and you are taught not to question it. And then the third and the most damaging of all is that the end is visible from the start, Pete. And this is terrible that we teach our kids this, but we teach the end is visible from the start. Now I'll bring that down to earth. When you are given a book in third grade and you have to read, I don't know, Martian Chronicles by Ray Bradbury, and then you know in two weeks on Friday I have to hand in a five-page paper about the plot and my thoughts, including a synopsis. Cool. Okay. Well, I know everything I have to do before I do anything. Same thing in math. Solve these 10 proofs. Hand them in. Same thing in science. Read this chapter and build a volcano. Whatever it is, we are always taught to know the end before we start. Then we go to work. And then in work, our bosses tell us what to do and lay it out so that we know what we have to do before we start. The problem is. We are never taught to deal with the unknown. We are never taught to start without knowing where it could end up. And because of that, people have, unfortunately, more anxiety than ever before and can't deal with the curveballs of life. And that's just a metaphor for creativity, was to make something you have to not know exactly where you'll end up. Now, this anxiety, can you unpack that mechanism or, or link there? Because we see the end before we start, we are more anxious 
because we don't. Is there a missing piece there? Yeah. So essentially, the modern society right now, what did we have? We had the agricultural age lasted a long Mm -hmm. time. Then we had, uh, fast forward to industrial age, the information age. Those happened fairly quickly. However, our human instincts, our programming, lags behind by tens of thousands of years. We don't just evolve, unfortunately, as fast as society changes. So what happened back in the day is that when you were f- had fear 10,000 years ago, 20,000 years ago, that was because it was your body and your instincts making you move away from something that could kill you. Okay? The unknown. Don't go into that cave because you could die. Don't go into this unknown land because we don't know who's there and defending it. Fear was a tool. We still have fear, but we don't have life-threatening experiences anymore. So this fear that is a natural part of our programming is making us move away from things it thinks we can die. In reality, we cannot die in that regard. What happens nowadays is instead of death, it's just your ego is bruised or Mm -hmm. you're embarrassed or you screw up. And so because of that, this fear that is still a part of our lives and this totally evolving social structure and then the way we go about doing things nowadays, we still feel fear. And that leads to a ton of anxiety because we have fears, but I don't know what to do with them. I don't know what's going to happen. And then we're taught not to know what the unknown is. And so when you combine Mm. all that, it's a beautiful recipe for a ton of anxiety. I see. So in a world full of unknowns, when we've only been trained and built up our capabilities in a world where the outcome is known in advance, we are sort of ill-equipped for the realities that we are in. Exactly. And then you combine that with the fact that our instinctual uh, reaction, fear reaction, is not really serving us the way it used to. Okay, certainly. Well, let's get some more creativity flowing. I, I'm curious, when you, when you mention assigning, I think about work in a way that's the end is not known before you start with, with the difference when you're making a request of someone or of yourself be instead of, I want to find a specific app that does this thing. Okay. So we've sort of narrowed it to, we're looking for a software application to, I need to find a solution which will enable me to pull off this outcome. Is that sort of the idea is, is we keep it open-ended? Like it could look like any number of things that delivers the goods. Sure. I mean, you are even already moving probably too far down the line in many cases where someone comes up to a problem that they haven't encountered before and they Mm -hmm. haven't even sussed out that they need to find a piece of software to solve it. It is just a bit of a shock and an anxiety inducing moment. And that's where we get fear. And so actually fear nowadays is a positive rather than a negative. Thousands of years ago, fear was something that said, danger, danger, don't go that direction. Today, fear, if you are tuned to it, is a, hey man, go in that direction. Because you're afraid, you have identified a boundary. If you go in that direction, you're able to break a boundary. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. When I was uh, 
think it was 13 years old. I was sitting in parking lot McDonald's with my uncle and we always used to go in together and have a Big Mac each and it was a wonderful time. On this particular day, Uncle Ralph decides Joey's going in alone. And I said, I, I, I can't do it. And he said, what do you mean you can't do it? It's right there. Just walk in, order it. You're a big kid. I was six foot. And I said, I'm afraid. And I was honest with my uncle. And he grabbed me by the shoulder and he looked me dead in the eye and he said, because you are afraid, now you must do it. And sure enough, I went in and I did it and I never forgot that. And it took me a long time to parse what he meant, but it meant that my fear was showing me a limitation. And when I was able to overcome it, I was able to expand the boundaries of my capabilities. Yeah, that's good stuff. And I don't think it's that uncommon. I remember in high school, there would be times when we were with a group of people. I was like, oh, we should order pizza. And maybe a third of the people in the group were genuinely uncomfortable picking up the phone to call yeah. the place to order the pizza. You don't even have to look at them in the eye. <laughs> oh, and yeah. I found that it's probably worse now, <laughs> I'm guessing, in it the year is. 2023 as compared to back in the day for me. Pete, it is bad now. Yeah. It is bad now. I have, I don't want to call anyone out, but I have experienced people uh, who are close to our age who still won't pick up the phone and make a call for something simple. Mm -hmm. Just like saying, hey, do you, you know, what time are you guys open to? Yeah. Uh-huh. Maybe this is why DoorDash is really doing so well. <laughs> you don't have to interact with a human that you still get to eat what yes. you want without moving. Uh, a winning, winning offer. All right, well, let's talk about this book here. The Laws of Creativity, Unlock mm. Your Originality and Awaken Your Creative Genius. You got 37 of these laws. Mm. Can you list some of them, maybe the top three, four, five that you think are just transformational? For a professional who wants to be more awesome at their job, something, things you can do that don't take a whole lot of time, effort, energy, pain, sacrifice, and yet liberate a lot of good, creative juiciness. Oh, sure. I mean, I can name 37 of them that are really damn good, but <laughs> since right. you're limiting me to a few, I will, uh, I suppose, choose. I'll tell you right now that chapter one, be weird. Okay. It's the law of expression. And it is chapter one for a reason. It is, it is simply stated, embrace the parts of you that others call weird. Don't hide what makes you different. Allow them to float to the top and be seen. Now, what does that mean, Joey? That means that, you know how when you grow up and your parents tell you that you're really a unique butterfly, and then you get mm -hmm. a little older and you realize everybody tells their parents that, and then you don't feel so unique when you have the same problems and the same challenges that everyone feels, and you kind of feel like you're not unique at all? Well, actually, you are incredibly unique. They were right. There's what my geometry teacher in high school, Mr. Allen, would say, right answer, wrong solution. They were just saying it because it's an encouraging thing to say, but actually you are incredibly unique. So Pete, give me uh, three interests that you have. Give me a favorite book, a favorite movie, a favorite video game, or just a, no, I, I, if I say favorite, it might be too much. So just say, name a, one you like of each of those three things. Okay, sure thing. Uh, for a book, well, right now I'm reading The Count of Monte Cristo, which is thrilling. 
So am I. No kidding. How about what that? are the odds? <laughs> <laughs> that is wild. That is the book I'm reading. I encountered it in an episode of Wishbone, the, the dog, if you've yeah. ever seen that show, when I was 12 years old or so. And I was like, well, that book looks awesome. And so you now, <laughs> decades later, it's like, maybe I'll go ahead and read that. And so, so that's fun. Wow. Uh, about halfway through. Uh, no spoilers. Yep. So that's cool. For a game, uh, boy, for my childhood, Master of Orion. It was, uh, you, mm. you conquer the galaxy. Cool. Very strategic, kind of formed a lot of the way I think, actually. So we had book, game, and what else? Uh, I would say movie. Let's go with uh, Batman the Dark Knight. Ooh, okay. So we have the Count of Monte Cristo. What was the second one? Master of Orion. Master of Orion. I never heard of that one. Master of Orion. I'm writing these down. Good stuff. And then The Dark Knight. Okay, cool. So these are three things that you like. And now you have a lot of interests. We're just going to take three. And let's say in each of those categories, we limit it to uh, a thousand. There are, just in those things, there is a billion permutations. Okay, if there's a thousand options or each. That means that right away, if you can combine The Count of Monte Cristo, The Master of Orion, and The Dark Knight into something you create as really strong influences to one in eight. Okay? Mm Mm-hmm. Sorry, so there's eight humans on the planet that have this okay. <laughs> combination. You go from one in eight billion to one in eight. Mm-hmm. Pretty interesting. Now let's add a fourth thing. Let's say, what's a TV show you like? Breaking Bad. Breaking Bad. It's kind of getting kind of dark, White. I think. <laughs> all of these are <laughs> all, this, like, all these really are like friendly, dark. chill person. <laughs> okay, so with a with a fourth item added, it's a, uh, permutations go up to a trillion, and now you have one hundred twenty seven times the population of Earth. When you put those four things into what you do, you become incredibly unique, and you're way more than just four things, and there's way more than just a thousand options. So you can imagine the actual permutations, and when you get this stuff you like into what you're doing. It is incredibly unique. So let's take me, for example. I really like philosophy. I really like writing. And I really like the blank page. So what did I do? I took philosophy. I took writing. And I added narrative. And the blank page, aka notebooks. And I combined those into a brand called Baron Fig that didn't do notebooks the way I did before. And put it on Kickstarter looking for 15 Gs. We did $168,000 in 30 days, and this is 10 years ago, before Kickstarter was a big deal, and that is rise and fall, and people loved it. And to this day now, Baron Fig has, from that one product that we started with, the notebook, we now have made over 115 products. We shipped in 95 countries. We have hundreds of thousands of customers, and we partner with incredible people like Netflix, James Clear, Roxanne Gay, to make wonderful things. And it is because I started by taking the things that I really liked and figuring out how to way to meld them together. And anybody could do that. And you could do it on a big scale, like creating a company. You do it on a small scale, like creating a presentation. But when you put yourself into your things, <laughs> as cliche as it sounds, when you be yourself, it becomes incredibly unique. Well, that makes sense mathematically. And I guess the the holdup is just that people feel uncomfortable being weird. Yes. They, they think they're going to get a social reprisal of some sort, like, oh, okay. Pete, well said, dude. Well said. And that is the chapter one, is that the problem is weird, the word itself, has been weaponized. When you think about it, you are in grammar school and, hey, don't eat with the weird kid. Or you're at work. Don't have lunch with the weird person. 
okay, cool. It's a, it's, it's literally weaponized and it, it ostracizes the folks in our bubble, in our everyday life, who are different than the rest. And the message it's saying, the subtext is, be like us and conform. And here's the really crazy thing, though, and this is why the chapter's titled, Be Weird, is because inside our bubbles, we force everybody to conform. However, outside of our bubbles, we absolutely celebrate and worship weird people. And I'm going to name a few people. These are not necessarily anyone that I worship or care about, but they're good examples. Lady Gaga, weird. Mm-hmm. Not in my bubble. We love her. Johnny Depp, weird dude. Jack Sparrow, super weird. Freaking love that. Elon Musk, Kanye West, so on and so forth. We celebrate weirdness as long as it's not in my bubble. Yeah. It's like you're making me uncomfortable now that I yeah, like, have exactly. to like, live within you. But but you're uh-huh. creating amazingness in the world that I am enjoying consuming from afar. Right. Mm-hmm. So I'll, I'll end this by saying those folks inside our bubble that people are going, hey, don't sit with that weird guy or don't talk to that weird guy. What I see is the bravest person in the room because they're the ones, despite being ostracized, are letting themselves be themselves. That's very beautiful. And I, I do love reading about the weird things that, that folks do. I heard Bill Gates when he was a youngster his he just be in his room for a long, long time. His mom would say, "Oh, Billy, I don't know what the, what you called him. <laughs> I, just, I like to pretend it's Billy. Oh, Billy, can you come on down?" And he'd say, "Mom, I'm trying to think." Like he's just thinking for a long time. He still does his these think weeks or think weekends where I'm just going to be completely silent and, and read a bunch of things that are stimulating and useful for my creativity. Or the dude, you're, hey, you're a video game guy. Uh, this guy in Japan, I forgot his name. He is one of the geniuses behind Mario and many other super fans. There you go. Apparently he just carries around with him a tape measure and has people guess the length of different objects. (laughs) It's like, Hey, (laughs) how long you think this is like, I don't know, seven inches. They probably use metric over there. (laughs) Centimeters. And and so you check it out and I thought, boy, that's weird. And yet there's a little bit of a connection becomes like, Oh, well, so part of your whole genius is representing things in a confined space, the dimensions of of a screen or or, or a video game. And so Mm -hmm. that fits that that goes down like that. So it is really fun for me to see the the weird things people do. One weird thing I do, look at you, Joey, you're already liberating me. Go for it. Sometimes I will think of just the most wildly inappropriate thing to say or do in a given situation. (laughs) And see how people react. (laughs) Yeah. In a way that really does support my strengths in terms of I am pretty good at formulating words that work and people respond to, Hmm. you know, because I I am also good at identifying the exact wrong thing to say. Like (laughs) someone walks in the steam room. I don't know. This is weird. So let's say I'm in a sauna or steam room and someone, I'm about ready to get out, but someone just gets in and I think I don't want to get out immediately because I don't want to hurt their feelings. I guess I'm really considerate. Hmm. Not that they care, but some weird thing I'll do is I'll think of the exact opposite of that. So (laughs) You know, like, like they, they walk in and I just sigh and say, you know what? F this, I'm out of here. <laughs> so, so that's weird and ridiculous. That is ridiculous. Um, but, like but in doing this all of the time, one, it keeps me amused and, and lighthearted and entertained. But two, it does kind of hone 
uh, one of my strengths, which is communicating stuff to folks in a way that's effective in terms of I want to, I'm, I'm effectively trying to learn something with the interview mm. questions, or I'm effectively trying to persuade. And that's just, I think it's funny, like the weirdness often, but not always, has a relationship or overlap into strengths, genius, giftedness. It does. It does. I like to acronym things. All right, let's do it. Like when, you know, if you're like, hey, I'm going to go to the store, I'll be like H-I-G-G-T-T-S, you know, and I Uh try to do it as fast as I can. Uh, And I have no idea why. I used to be really good when I was a kid. I would go to bed acronyming every sentence I did. And lo and behold, I became an English major. And then, you know, I wrote a book and I think it all kind of just ties together the ability to dance around words and letters and, and be comfortable with them. That's good. All right. Well, that's just one law. Be weird. Can you lay a couple more on us? <laughs> yeah, let's do another one. I think there's a powerful one that people are always like, man, that makes so much sense. So creativity, what is the base word of creativity? Create. You got it. But you don't create in creativity. It's a complete misnomer. It's ridiculous. Unfortunately, people do think that creativity is creating. It's not. And it sucks because that means people don't think that they are creative when in fact they are. It's just expressing, expressing yourself. So the law of connection addresses this and it says, base concepts can neither be created nor destroyed. They simply merge to form new combinations. Creativity is not about creating. It is about combining. And then I give some examples mm-hmm. and I'm going to give you an example, a few examples right now. The iPhone combines a computer and a phone. The Avengers combine the allure of the gods and the relatability of everyday people. Pokemon, the number one franchise on planet Earth, combines our love of pets and our fascination with fantasy worlds. Mm -hmm. I would say in collections, too. We'd like to be collectors. And yeah, so Mm -hmm. absolutely. It's it's multidimensional for sure. I just base it down into something that you can parse. Mm -hmm. I call it the, the the grandparent test, which is when you say, hey, grandma, grandpa, what is Tesla? And they say, oh, those are those cars with batteries. Well, you just figured out exactly mm-hmm. the two things that someone combined to make this new thing, you know, or Instagram is photography and messaging, so on and so forth. And so the number one thing to take away is that when you are being creative, really, you are taking things that exist and just mushing them together. Yeah. And it's a much more palatable way of saying, hey, maybe I am creative. I do that all the time, rather than thinking you are creating from scratch. So that's not real. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that sinks. Well, I'll put you on the spot, Joey. So your notebook, I'm holding one. Mm. What, what's the genius of combination that went down here? Great question. The genius of combination is that I did not care about the question you just asked. Okay. So it's the first thing people say, what's so special about your notebook? Uh-huh. I don't know, Pete, what's so special about Starbucks's coffee? <laughs> Does anybody care? No. <laughs> it's the brand. Okay. It's the difference is the story that a brand is telling. So when I started back in 2013 and all these notebook companies were telling people about the GSM of the paper and how hard it was pressed and if it's soft, textured or smooth, I didn't say any of that stuff. What I said is we made a really damn good notebook 
because it's really, really important that you have a place that you can trust to put really important thoughts because we all put a lot of really treasured ideas into our notebooks. When we're journaling, our deepest thoughts go in there. When we're brainstorming on a project, something that we're really excited about and that we cherish and that we could see the future goes in there. A notebook holds so much that's important. And when I started Baron Fig in 2013, that's what I spoke about. Sure, sure. I made a high quality notebook. The paper is better than any other notebook. I made a binding that I actually patented that opens totally flat. And I made a cover with cloth that no one had done at the time. And, a, and the bookmark is much more high quality, but who cares? At the end of the day, no one's like, man, look at that. Look at that bookmark quality. Doesn't matter. I made them good. But the point is, I want you to go to our website. I want you to see that the product and the people who created the product speak to you as a human being that puts important things down on paper that you care about and that respects it. And that's what we did. And that's why we're still here 10 years later selling notebooks. All right. Well, Joey, I'd love to also get your take. Let's say you're in the heat of battle. Ooh, it's time to create. Okay. There's uh, a proposal to write, a thing to make, and you're just hitting a wall. You've got quote unquote writer's block mm -hmm. or uh, artist block, or you're just, things aren't firing the way you'd like them to be and have fired historically. How do you get into the groove, the mode, the mojo, the vibe, the flow to make it happen? Good question. I do 50s or 100s. What are they, Joey? Another good question. 50s or 100s is you list 50 or 100 ideas about something pertaining to the thing you're trying to solve, okay? And now the, here, the real twist is you're going for quantity. You don't judge. If it makes sense, you do it. So if I'm, I don't know, if I want to do a limited edition pen, I just got to write down 50. I don't care if one is, I'm just coming up with it now. A green pen, it's called the Pickle Edition. Oh, a TV remote control edition. It has a sticker that's a remote control that you slap on your forehead. Oh, let's do the forehead edition where you roll the pen on your forehead and it creates really smooth feeling, right? They're ridiculous ideas, but they solve even if they're not good. And so what happens is you detach yourself from the expectations of the outcome when you do these. Pete, you've heard of the phrase quality over quantity. Mm -hmm. now, very common. And it makes sense. You want one nice thing over a bunch of mediocre things, right? Yeah. Totally fair. Problem is, that phrase speaks to the destination, to the end. That's like me saying, hey, Pete, go to the gym, be strong. And you're like, what do I do at the gym? Yeah. Skips over the middle. So I'm going to rephrase it for us. Quality over quantity, but quantity begets quality. And so when you do a lot, you end up getting good. No one ever does their first shot on the court or their first swing of a golf club or their first chapter of a book and says, it came out perfect. Mm -hmm. Yet, when a lot of people who are uninitiated with doing some type of expression like that jump in, they get really upset that they didn't succeed on the first shot. And that's just ridiculous. Focus on doing a lot, and the good stuff will come. All right. Thank you. Thank you, Pete. Well, Joey, tell me, anything else you want to make sure to mention before we hear about some of your favorite things? Uh, no, I am an open book, man. I'm going to, well, how do I like to say I am at your service? You open and you stay flat. I do stay flat. Patented. In a patented yeah. <laughs> fashion. <laughs> All right. How about a favorite quote that you find inspiring? Favorite quote is without a doubt, 
The unexamined life is not worth living. Socrates. All right. And a favorite study or experiment or bit of research? Favorite study is probably Schrodinger's cat comes to mind just because it's so misinterpreted. When he pulled that exercise, he was actually proving a point how silly it is that you could think that the cat is alive and dead at the same time. It was like a joke. But now people use it to prove that it's a possibility, which is so ironic. Mm. And a favorite book? Favorite book besides the laws of creativity is The Phantom Tollbooth. Are you familiar with it? Oh, yeah. Phantom Tollbooth. It's a kid book. Uh, kid's book. And it is about a kid who goes into a world of total creativity and playfulness and the language and the pictures. And it's absolutely great. And you should read it once a year, every year. So it reminds you in 120 pages what it's like to think with a kid full of wonder. Mm-hmm. And a favorite tool, something you used to be awesome at your job. Coffee. Mm-hmm. Is that fair? Sure. Love coffee. And a favorite habit? Favorite habit is uh, I do at least one push up every day. Well, now I'm intrigued. Does it often turn into more than one? It does often turn into a lot more. But the idea that I only need to do one is great. Then I do push-ups. Then I do some squats. Then I do some lunges. And then I do some pull-ups on the pull-up bar. And then, huh, wow, that push-up turned into a lot. All right. And is there a key nugget you share that really seems to connect and resonate with folks? They quote it back to you often? Well, I gave you my favorite one, which is quantity begets quantity. So I'm going to stick with that. Okay. And if folks want to learn more or get in touch, where would you point them? Go to joeycafone.com and you will find all that you need. All right. And do you have a final challenge or call to action for folks looking to be awesome at their jobs? Well, actually, yeah, I have a call to action. If you go to my website, you could take my free email course, which will give you nine of the laws that you can judge for yourself whether you think you have it right about creativity or not. Oh, Joey, thank you. This has been a treat. I wish you much fun and creativity. Pete, thank you, man. It's been a pleasure. And uh, everybody out there, thank you for listening. Hope you have a beautiful day. I really dug Joey's take on generating 50 or 100 ideas, going for quantity, and just letting them be terrible. I think that sometimes we're just uncomfortable with that. Like, I cannot allow this to live for a moment. And yet I found when I just write it down, they start terrible. And then they say, well, you know, actually, if we tweak that just a little bit, That's kind of interesting. I found that time and time again. And if you push a little bit farther, like I'm all out of ideas, just sit with that discomfort a little bit longer, push for a few more, go for the 50 or 100 terrible ideas. Some good ones emerge from that quantity or some good ones emerge from a little bit of a tweak of one of the bad ones. Great stuff from Joey. Again, the show notes, the transcript, the links to items we've referenced are at awesomeatyourjob.com slash EP841. Hope to catch you next time and peace. Thanks for listening. To get the most out of the show, we recommend two key things. First, check out the extra resources at awesomeatyourjob.com. You can find this episode's transcript and links, as well as the perfect episode for your situation. You can search the full text transcripts of hundreds of episodes or explore episodes tagged by topic and competency covered. Second, subscribe to the podcast and get future episodes automatically. You can subscribe by telling Siri and several other smartphones and speakers, subscribe to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast or by tapping subscribe in your podcast player of choice. If you'd like some extra help figuring out podcasts and how subscriptions work, visit awesomeatyourjob.com slash subscribe for guidance. Hope to catch you on the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job. 